Okay, so this morning we are going to continue our series on kingdom over everything. Hopefully you were around last week, or if you weren't, you got to hear the message. Um, if you do, I joked about it, but if you didn't hear it, um, you can go well, listen to it on YouTube. You can even slow it down on YouTube if it was a little bit fast. Somebody told me this morning that, I won't say who it is, but somebody said we should have seatbelts in our chairs <laughs> because I talk too quickly. Um, I don't know about that, but uh, it would duly noted. We'll see. Maybe we can add some shoulder straps or something. Uh, it was a lot. It was a lot to cover, and it was it was a fun morning to be able to do that. I would love for you to jump in with us today, of course. But um, without last week's message, some of what I share today is going to lack context. And so, um, after this morning, and you hear this message, I would encourage you to go make sure to go back and listen to last week's message. Um, as well on kingdom and what is the kingdom. And so this part of our year, we just felt like it was a season for us to focus in on the kingdom. What does it mean? And what does it mean to have the kingdom in our life over everything? And we, as we shared last week, Jesus taught his, his followers and us as his followers to pray this, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to focus on that your kingdom come. What does that mean? And Jesus isn't speaking of it as if it's some sort of future reality, but he's actually saying, partner with us, God. Show us how to bring your kingdom, the present reality, to earth. And, and then he taught us, and he taught his disciples to seek first his kingdom. Again, in Matthew 6, well, how, how are we to seek first his kingdom unless we believe that it is something that can, that can be accessed right now? How did we all end up on this side of the room? Look at it, it's like, it's, it's, sorry, I'm just noticing these things as I'm spinning around. I'm like, there's a lot of people over on this side. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and you as well. <laughs> I will keep pivoting, I promise. So he taught us to seek first his kingdom. And how are we to seek first his kingdom unless it is something that we can actually seek and find and, and participate in in this, in this life and in this time? Um, but we have to remember that the kingdom that Jesus came to establish was radically different than any of the kingdoms that came before him and any of the kingdoms that exist upon the earth today. And Jesus came and he came proclaiming and teaching the kingdom and he said to us, demonstrating to us and demonstrating to his followers, this is what the kingdom looks like. The sick are healed, the blind see, the condemned are freed, the oppressed and the forgotten are valued and cherished. The good news is for everyone, but it's also good news for the poor. And orphans are adopted and his family is extended and his table is open. And this is what Jesus came proclaiming and this is what Jesus came demonstrating with his life to show us what the kingdom that he was telling us to ask for, and the kingdom that he was telling us to pursue. This is what the kingdom looks like. And so he showed us and demonstrated it because he was establishing not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And that spiritual kingdom we know now would be started as a mustard seed, but it would grow to fill as it has, would continue to fill the entire earth. And so that's what Jesus, by his life, his death, his resurrection, his enthronement, and his outpouring of his spirit, what he accomplished for us. But we can't see this kingdom because it isn't an earthly kingdom. And that's the conversation that Jesus had, we talked about last week, that Jesus had with Nicodemus, who came to him and asked him these questions about the kingdom and about being born again. And he was, had this confusion about what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 3. And Jesus replied, 
Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again from above. And what this translates as is just the reality of being reborn from a different source. We cannot see it through earthly eyes. We have to be born again spiritually to have the spiritual eyes to be able to see and perceive the spiritual realities and the spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to establish. What does this mean for us today? What this means is that for those of us who have bowed our knees and we have pledged allegiance to King Jesus, that we have surrendered our life and we are in relationship with him, that we have been spiritually reborn from a different source, as he says to Nicodemus, that we can see and we can partake and we can participate in the kingdom. And we have to understand that his kingdom is in us. And it is in our hearts and it is in our spiritual eyes to see. It is in our spiritual connection we have with one another. But we have to also understand that it is not in the kingdoms of man. It is a supernatural spiritual kingdom that we see in Jesus. And to the degree that we seek first his kingdom, as we're instructed by Jesus in Matthew 6, over everything else, kingdom over everything, we will break our entanglement with the kingdoms and the systems and the processes that this world offers us. And so what we have to do is believe that Jesus' instructions in Matthew 6 and his encouragements and even his challenges to us as he talks about the kingdom. And in Matthew 6, 24, reminds us, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other or hate one and love the other. We cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve the kingdoms of man and also the kingdom of Jesus. And so this reality of us surrendering and bending our knees and our hearts and giving ourselves fully to Jesus brings us into a place where we do break that dependence upon and that confusion entanglement with this kingdom that is around us and with the culture that is so heavy upon us. And that was John's message. John the Baptist who went before Jesus, the Messiah, in the wilderness he called people to come away from the familiar kingdoms, come out into the wilderness to hear this message. And the message that he preached wasn't very flowery or friendly or happy, but it was a kingdom message. And it was this, repent and turn from the kingdoms of this world for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And he called on people to be baptized in water, which I believe is referencing back as I'm studying the passage with Jesus talking with Nicodemus. And Jesus said, you have to be born of water and of spirit. Though what is he referencing? Something that Nicodemus from the Old Testament, from his scriptures, would have been familiar with. And I believe that John the Baptist was referencing that same belief that the Messiah would come and we would be reborn, that we would have an out pouring of water and we have an outpouring of his spirit upon us and this is Ezekiel we looked at this passage of scripture last week but I believe this is what John the Baptist was referencing when he's asking us and inviting people to be baptized when Jesus is saying we have to be born of water and of spirit Ezekiel 36 25 it says this this is God speaking to his people. I will sprinkle clean water upon you. I will wash you in water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. John the Baptist is saying, come away. Repent from the kingdoms of this life, from your idolatry, from your love of this world and be baptized in water. 
because this is what Jesus said that he would do when his Messiah came, is that we would be washed in water and that we would be cleansed of our impurities and we would be cleansed of our idols and we would be cleansed of our worldly love for this life. And so John is calling them to this radical act of faith of being baptized in water. And Jesus is calling Nicodemus to this radical act of faith where he's going, I don't get it. How am I to be reborn? Unless he understands Ezekiel and what Jesus is referencing. God goes on to say, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. There was a time coming They prophesied, Ezekiel prophesied, there is a time coming when it will not be about following rules, but God will write on your heart by his spirit inside of you. He will write his law and his heart and his desires onto your heart that you can follow them and know him. And this is what I believe baptism is about. It is this, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all idols. And so when we're inviting people to be baptized, We're inviting people into lordship. We're inviting people into a kingdom that begins, as John the Baptist would say, come away from the love of this life and the love of this world. Come away from the systems and the structures that so easily entangle you. Repent from this kingdom and come and understand that there is a new kingdom of Jesus that is available to you and he will wash you in water and he will cleanse you. And as he does that, he will put a new heart in you. And as you come up out of that water, as you are cleansed, He will put his spirit in you and he will lead you forward by his heart and his law that you don't have to be stuck as they were in a religious system, but that we would know Jesus and we would be able to follow Jesus. And so that's why March 19th next week is such a celebration for us to get to stand with people as we're seeing that physically taking place what is true in the spiritual realm. And so if this is the kingdom and this is the reality of what has happened, if this is what Jesus or what John the Baptist was calling them to, if this is what Jesus was calling them to, if this was what Ezekiel was pointing them towards, what does it matter for us today? The kingdom is expanded. It matters because the kingdom is expanded when people come to know the salvation and the love and the power and the life of Jesus the way that that passage talks about. Jesus came to establish the reign of God and this kingdom, and it always will look and act and love like Jesus did. So what you do, what did he do? We said this last week, but the question in my heart, what did Jesus do when he came and he had all power and authority on heaven and on earth? Did he smite his enemies? Did he overthrow the Roman government? Did he establish himself as a physical king with a government on earth? No. Instead of starting a war or overthrowing anyone, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He served those that needed to be served. He loved those that needed to be loved. He forgave those who needed to be forgiven of much. He came for the sick and not the healthy. He came to lay down his life. And ultimately, the expression of his kingdom wasn't a sword to conquer, but it was a death on the cross. And that is the kingdom that he invites us into. And why does it matter? For us to be people of that kingdom, we have to be able to spiritually come into that same heart and alignment that Jesus had, is that we would love as he loved and that we would act as he acted and he would speak as he spoke and that we would lay down our lives for those around us. That's what Jesus' kingdom looks like. 
His instruction to us is to do everything in love. And love to me and love to us has to be defined by the cross of Jesus. And so I want to say this very kindly to you this morning because I'm saying it to myself. You don't want this kingdom. And I don't want this kingdom. It is so radically contrary to everything I have been raised in, everything I have been taught, everything I would want to see happen to those who are somehow seen as being against me. It is so opposite of how I want to respond when I don't get my way. It's so opposite of how I want to respond when people hurt my feelings or talk about me or say things about me that aren't true. I don't want this kingdom. And you don't want this kingdom. And you can say, well, yes, I do. I very much do want this kingdom of Jesus. I'm like, you don't. You don't. None of us do. We can't. Listen to this. And I mean, feel free to argue with me and feel free to be like, you're wrong. I do want this kingdom. So let's talk about it then. For living out this kingdom, it looks totally different than any of the kingdoms that we've grown up, grown up in, and it is fundamentally opposed to our desires. So understand the kingdoms of this world that you've been raised in, that I've been raised in, it imitates Caesar. It's based on mistrust and power over others and self-interest. It uses violence to accomplish its goals. It uses coercion and greed to be able to see the manifestation of power in that kingdom. But the kingdom of God imitates Christ and it's based on trust and love. It is other-oriented. It seeks to serve enemies and transform the earth through doing good and loving others. That is the kingdom that we are signing up for. It is the kingdom that I'm willing to admit I don't really want to participate in. I don't want that. When I'm in myself and I'm in my natural element and I'm in my place, I don't want that. Why? Because look at this. Here's just some kingdom principles for us to go over this morning. You don't want this kingdom. Because in this kingdom, we're called to love others selflessly. John 15, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13 you think this is only allowed to be read at weddings. But I'm going to bring it into to church. Watch this. This is what kingdom love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It, is, it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. I don't want this kingdom because I cannot live up to that reality. This kingdom principle, another one is love your enemies. Luke 6, Jesus again. But to those of you who will listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. 
And if someone takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic as well. He's saying, when people come and take advantage of you, you let them. And you love them. And in your response to them, you show them a different kingdom. I don't want that kingdom. I don't. That's a dumb kingdom. (laughs) Won't people just take advantage of us and we just are wussies that everybody just takes whatever they want from us? We have to sit there and take it? I don't want that kingdom. Again, because my higher priority is what about me? Right? Back to Matthew 6. What will I eat? What will I wear? How will people perceive me? What will I look like? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't worry about any of those things. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. All of that will take care, will be taken care of. But the kingdom of me, this whole loving your enemies and letting people take from you and turning the other cheek, That's a tough one. I said this last week. In our kingdom, justice administers punishment that is proportionate to the crime. But in Jesus' kingdom, justice is making what is wrong right. It is the restoration of people to their original design. When he goes after people in justice, and I'm like standing back because I see Jesus running after somebody that wronged me, and I'm like, yeah, get him! (laughs) And he runs after them and he scoops them out. And he embraces them and he puts a robe on them and a ring on their finger and and sandals on their feet and says, welcome home. You are my son. I love you and I'm proud of you. And I want to restore you to the original design of who I know that you were created to be. And I'm like, this justice you use is dumb. You were running after that person and I wanted you to just pummel them. And you pummeled them with your love. I don't want this kingdom. I want a kingdom where I'm recognized that I was the one who was hurt by that person. I was the one who was taken advantage of. I want to be made accommodate. I want accommodations made for my pain and my hurt. And I want that person to have to suffer and pay. Leave room for God's vengeance. Leave room for his righteous anger, his righteous indignation. His righteous indignation is what has happened to that person to deform their heart that they would act out in such a way that would bring pain to people around them. And his father's heart is to meet them and see them face to face and see them receive all that Jesus paid for on the cross and love them to the original design of his heart for them. That's what the kingdom looks like. It's not a kingdom that I want. Again, to belabor the point. Forgive others as Jesus forgave you. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, outcry, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. I could stand up here in honesty and list off a name of people who I am not living in kingdom toward because I have not forgiven them the way that Jesus forgives me. Because why? Because when it comes right down to it, I don't want this kingdom. I want my kingdom where I can hold my grudges, I can justify my angers, and I can make people have to jump over the hurdles to get restoration to me once they've cleared this and this and this and this. Maybe then I'll listen instead of forgiving them as Jesus forgave me. I don't want that kingdom. 
Treat others the way that you want to be treated. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Jesus. I'm tired of Jesus' quotes. I promise you every day that I break this simple encouragement and instruction that Jesus gave us. And in fact, I believe that if there's one spiritual truth that if we could all follow and we just let all the rest of them go away, that he encapsulated the beauty of the kingdom in one sentence. Because to understand that I want to love others or treat others the way that I want to be treated is to understand this beautiful transition, transformation that has taken place because of Jesus. And that the more that I see that, the more that I treat people through that as opposed to through my earthly kingdoms and structures, performance-oriented mechanisms that I want people to jump through. Another principle of this kingdom, consider others ahead of yourselves. Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride. Good, I'd never do that one. I always consider everybody else's interests above my own. It's not true. This is the reality of like the healthiest that we can become as a people of God is to allow the conviction of his word and the power of his spirit to rest on us in a way where we go, I don't want that kingdom. I say I do, but I don't. Because I don't want to learn what it would truly take for me to live in such a way that I consider the interests and the care of others before I consider myself. I want to say it. I want to look like it. But in my heart of hearts, I don't want to do it. And that is a kingdom of man mechanism laid over the top of the kingdom of Jesus. Because the kingdom of man mechanism is say the right things and behave in a certain way so that you can fool people or even yourself or think that you can fool God into saying, I really want your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven when you don't. When I don't. Kingdom principle, live at peace with others. Okay. Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible on your part, live at peace with everyone. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reality of that verse is it is telling you and is telling me that when I seek revenge over someone else, when I hold a grudge, that I am being overcome, that I am giving a foothold to evil in my life instead of overcoming evil by goodness coming in the place of that revenge that I desire. And heaping burning coals, I think you've all heard this message before. I know that we're not like, yeah, give me some burning coals and I will pour them on that jerk's head. (laughs) It is just symbolic that in how we behave towards people, heaping coals on our heads is is a response. It is ash on our heads. It is a response of repentance 
that people had in that day and in that culture. So it's not saying you get to you know, reach into the fire and throw burning embers on them. It is saying that in your response to them, they would have such a revelation of Jesus and his kingdom that they would come to a place of saying, I was in the wrong because of our response to them. That's what the kingdom looks like. In fact, Jesus, again, with his fancy quotes, Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him leave your cloak as well. Let him have your cloak as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Of course, we, we understand that culturally this was the Roman government who was, who was oppressive and over the Jews in that time. And they would come to them and basically anything they asked for, they had to do. And it would, they would become very infuriated and indignant. And Jesus was saying, you're losing your victory. You're, lo- you're stepping out of the reality of the kingdom when you allow that to take place. I'm saying to you, it's not an eye for an eye. If somebody slaps you, if somebody takes from you, if somebody asks something of you, you give it willingly and with the right heart that is born out of sacrificial love for that person. Why? Because when I see that person, I see them as cherished, beloved son or daughter of God that Jesus paid the price for. Not an enemy, but a friend of God. See, this kingdom is is dumb. I don't want this kingdom. I don't. I say I do, but I don't. Do not seek power over others. Another principle of the kingdom, Matthew 20. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you must become a servant. Jesus said, look around at the rulers of this world. They want to lord it over people, and I am telling you to serve people. That is a kingdom principle. I could go on. You guys probably have gotten the point by now. This kingdom is impossible for us to live out because in our natural state, when we're tired, when we're weary, when we lean towards who we are, that we don't want people to know who we are, these principles make no sense. And while they sound kind of nice on a Sunday morning, they do not work during the week, right? You're like, yeah. Let me see if I can try that at my workplace when I'm having to fight for that deal to just be like, hey, you know what? Why don't you go ahead and take this one since you've been stabbing me in the back for the last week uh, at work and tearing me down in front of my boss. Why don't you just go, yeah, you go ahead and take that one. This stuff doesn't work. So we can talk about it on Sunday, but we're not gonna live it out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? Because we want the kingdom here on a Sunday morning, but we don't want the kingdom here in our life in our marriage, in our workplace. We don't want to see Jesus' reality coming to earth as it is in heaven. We don't want to see what it really looks like to say, I believe you that if I seek your kingdom first, 
And I don't seek revenge for that person that undercut me at work. Or if I say it's not about winning that competition to see who can make the most money. Or it's not about being able to come out on top. Or it's not power over. If I really believe and say, Jesus, I want to seek you and your righteousness and your kingdom first above all of this. That you are going to step into these places that make no sense to me. And you will come through. And you will establish your kingdom in my mind and in my heart and then through my behavior towards others. And I get to see your kingdom coming. But we don't want this kingdom. By definition, this kingdom that looks like Jesus. We participate in the kingdom of Jesus to the extent and only to the extent that we look like Jesus. This makes no sense. It seems impossible. And I've said it for probably 30 times. I don't know if we want this kingdom. I don't know if we want this reality. It would make no sense to us of how this would take place. And so I bring you back to that moment with Nicodemus and Jesus. When Nicodemus is scratching his head and he's going, I don't understand how this is supposed to happen? How am I supposed to be born of water and spirit? Am I supposed to to climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? This makes no sense. And that is the same reality that I have when I think about the principles and the demonstration and the reality of our king who came not to conquer, but to lay down his life. And not just to lay down his life, but to lay down his life in the most shameful, public, humiliating way This is our power. This is our king crucified on the cross. This makes no sense. How is this to take place? And I believe with all of my heart that this is why Jesus's message resonates so powerfully with us today. Listen to him again from Matthew 4. And this is the amplified version. I love how it unpacks it a little bit and I want you to hear this. From that time, Jesus began to preach and he said, repent. And in repenting, you are changing your inner self. You are changing your old way of thinking. You are bringing regret and conviction for past sins. You are living your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purposes for your life for the kingdom of heaven is here. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How am I to see the kingdom come? Is it throughout a human effort to be able to live these principles? Absolutely not. It is in this. I repent that I do not want your kingdom. I repent that I do not believe that your kingdom will come if I seek it first. I do not believe that if I step aside, if I become less, if someone hits me, offends me, and I just live my life in a way where I allow it to happen again, if I am able to just be less and to make others more important than me, if I don't believe that, that I come before Jesus and instead of saying, how do I make that behavior, whoa, how do I make that behavior happen in my life as opposed to you will never make that behavior happen in your life. The core and the inception point of change is that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and that we would get before him and just say, I don't want your kingdom. And I repent of that 
I want my kingdom. I want my safety. I want my money. I want my marriage. I want my this. I want my that. And I repent of that. And I take you at your word that says the kingdom of heaven is here and the way that I access it is by being spiritually born again so that I can see and perceive and understand and participate in your kingdom. And that I can come before him and truly, truly say, I don't want my kingdom. I want yours. And that that could become through repentance and through waiting on the Lord, and through a spiritual transformation, that that could become our reality, that we truly and deeply desire the kingdom of Jesus to arrive in our heads, our hearts, our homes, in our cities, in our culture, in our nation, and in our world. Now remember this. The worship team, you can come up, please. The thing that I want you to remember is that this kingdom that I'm talking about is not a natural kingdom. It is a supernatural kingdom and we behold it spiritually and we access it through that act of repentance, of bowing down our lives, bowing our knees to Jesus every time that we want our own kingdom over his. Every time that we seek first our desires, every time we seek first our stuff over seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Galatians 3 says this. Well, let me back up just a little bit. I want you to understand what I've been saying is that this kingdom is so unnatural to us. It is so contrary to us. If we're being honest, we would say it is so difficult for us to get our hearts to a place where we want to follow those principles that Jesus and Paul are teaching us. I would say this, it is so unnatural. It has to be supernatural. And thankfully, this is a house and this is a community of people who believe strongly in the opportunity for God to meet us and to do a supernatural transaction and a transformation in us that we can learn through repentance, through getting on our knees and on our faces before Jesus and saying, not my will, but yours be done, that we can come to a place where we have experienced and continue to experience a supernatural transformation where your desires dissolve and his desires grow where your kingdom is released and his kingdom is grabbed onto. Galatians 3, Paul says this, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Did you receive God's spirit by following a bunch of rules? No. Or by hearing and with faith? Do we receive this kingdom by following a bunch of rules? No, Jesus said you have to be spiritually born again, as Ezekiel 5 talks about. And Paul goes on to say in Galatians 3, are you so foolish that after starting in the spirit, are you now finishing in the flesh? You were brought into this kingdom by the spirit of the living God. You were brought into this kingdom by kneeling your head and your heart and your life to Jesus and saying, here I am, come and fill me with your spirit. 
and that by his spirit you are able to see the kingdom? Are we so foolish that we have somehow now transitioned to a place of maturity where we are trying to live out his kingdom principles through human effort rather than by spiritual transformation that looks like us on our knees before him saying, I don't think I want your kingdom, but I want your kingdom. Forgive me for every place in my life where I have sought to punish, where I have not released forgiveness, where I haven't sought others before me, where I have allowed there to be enemies instead of seeing friends of God. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. And we are washed in his water of our idolatry of this kingdom and the systems of this life that we want to live under. We are washed of those. We say, that is an idol and I release it to you. And in return, I take a fresh revelation of your kingdom and of your purposes. Let us not try to finish in the flesh and in our own strength what began in the spirit. And so I ask you this morning, who is truly the king of your heart? Who is truly the king of your life? Who is truly the king of your marriage? Who is truly the king of your business? Who is truly the king of your life as a student in a school, a worker in a workplace, a son or a daughter in a family? Have we surrendered these places to him and said, Jesus, you are king. You are king. You are king. And if I have to come to you every moment of every day and remind myself that I am kneeling my heart and my knee physically, if I have to, to say, you are king. You are king. Seek first your kingdom above all else. And I would ask you a second question. Which kingdom are you valuing? Remembering Matthew 6 where Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You are born again spiritually to be able to participate in a kingdom that overrides every kingdom of this earth. But what kingdom are you serving and what kingdom are you valuing right now today? Because Jesus reminds us you cannot serve both. The repentance of our heart, the repentance of my heart are the places where I say, I am trying to serve two masters. I'm trying to live out two kingdoms. And I'm done. Because this is a spiritual and supernatural kingdom and it takes a spiritual and supernatural transformation through repentance and through an experience of his love, through experience of his presence that actually transitions my heart to be able to say, I see your kingdom. I see it. I see it. I sense it. I can step into it. And that's what I want us to have. Not a theoretical kingdom because the Bible says it's there, but an actual encounter with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, so that we can see our King and we can see his kingdom. And it begins to be overlaid across above everything else that we see and that we look at in this life. Because I'm a dad, I'm gonna use this line. It is a poor dad joke, maybe but I hope it'll stick with you. Do we desire the reign of God on our lives, but not the reign of God over our lives? That is the reality of the kingdom question that we have this morning. God, I want this. God, I want that. So when we quantify salvation through like personal, you're, you and Jesus, you're, you're, he loves you and you're personally, you're born again and he saved you. We'll talk about what is salvation in a couple weeks before Easter. We're gonna do a couple messages on it. But when it's all about this like personal conversion, that's fine. And we can hold on to that. 
But the gospel that Jesus preached was about kingdom. And it was about a king. And it was this promise that there will come a time when every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when it's all about me, I can be like, oh, I want this from you and I want this from you and I want my life to go right and I want this to go well and I want all of this. I want the reign of your goodness to fall on my life, but I do not want to surrender the reign of your kingdom over my life. It was a good point, amen. I don't want to <laughs> surrender and kneel before your kingship. But the reality is, is that Jesus wants to be the one who reigns over every area in your life. You guys are awesome, I'm sorry. When we mature in our spiritual journey, Repentance takes a few different forms. When we are young in our spiritual journey, repentance is this. I'm so sorry about my behavior. I'm so sorry I did that thing, that thing, that thing. As we mature, those things no longer have a hold on us because we asked ourselves the question, oh, everything is permissible, but is everything beneficial? And when we can walk into a spiritual truth that says, I am quantifying everything by what makes me more like Jesus. And so we stop, our behavior begins to come into alignment with Jesus. We are beholding him and in his glory, we are being transformed and we are no longer just repenting every day of that behavior that we're trying to break out of. And we grow in our maturity and we begin to repent of the way that we think. And after a while, we learn to repent of the way that we think. And eventually we come to a place where we have learned to repent for our behavior, but that's not a huge thing anymore. And we have learned to repent of our thought life, but that's not a huge thing anymore because it has been sacrificed and transformed by Jesus. And then we come to a place where our repentance is over our desires. And it is very simple. God, forgive me that I do not desire your kingdom Forgive me that I do not desire your truth. Forgive me that I do not desire your presence. Forgive me that I do not desire your love to radically intercept my marriage. God, forgive me that I do not desire your truth to transform this person around me that I would rather hold in anger than see in grace. God, forgive me for this desire that I lack. And that is where I want us to be this morning is that we'd come to a place where we would just say, oh, Forgive me for the places I don't desire your kingdom. And I, and I said this several times in this message, that we don't want this kingdom because I really think that in our flesh we don't. But the good news is, is that this is not about your flesh. This is about a transformation of the spirit of the living God coming in you and transforming us. What are we to do, Romans 12? That we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But it is hard, you guys. It is hard. It's difficult for me. It must be impossible for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I had to do it because some of you, you already were at that joke before I even made it. I saw you. You beat me to it. I had to make it. Not for me, but Matthew 26, 36, Jesus in the garden with his father. He fell on his face. He fell on his face and he prayed to God, my father. If it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus sat in that garden all night long and he prayed 
and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. Why? Because he was fighting for an alignment that he was saying, not my will. My will is that I wouldn't do this. I don't want your kingdom. I don't want it to happen this way. I don't want to have to be through this. I don't want it to go through this. But if you would just take this from me and let it pass over me. And he is praying and sweating until it's like drops of blood pouring out of him. This is Jesus wrestling with the reality of saying, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. And that's why I can safely stand up here on the stage and say, I don't want this kingdom either, Jesus. I feel you, man. Just kidding. Didn't just compare my life to his and he's going to the cross, okay? But if Jesus is wrestling to come to that place, imagine how we must fight to find our knees before Jesus and say, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. Not my will, but your will. These principles are not my principles, but they're your principles. And I believe that they are not a list of behaviors to follow, but a spiritual transformation that takes place when I behold the king face to face and he transforms me in his presence by his love. And I've used up all of our time, but I want us to be finished this morning. If you need to, you can go. It's 1130 We've been kind of packing on a few extra minutes to our morning and just saying it like this. Like if you need to go get your kids or you've got to, uh, to head out to lunch or there's something that you have to do, we release you, we love you, and, we, and we are, we're good with that. We are finished. But we also want to hold some space in this time this morning to worship. There is communion that is available to you in the back as an act of worship, as an act of coming before Jesus. Because when Jesus gave communion, he said, this is my body, this is my blood, this is a new covenant, but he also said, this is my kingdom. And so as we come to take communion, that we are taking communion as an acknowledgement of not my kingdom, but your kingdom. And so for these next few minutes, please move about as you need to. If you need to go get kids, if you need to go get middle schoolers, if you need to head on, you can. But in this room, in this room, for those that would like to stay, stick around, we're gonna hold some space for some worship and some response and some communion. So feel free to move about the room as we worship.